If you've made it this far, you're in the background of the iFont 2016 conference website. Thank you for registering your interest in what promises to be a brilliant conference in which we hope to gather thousands of the best clinical minds from across the globe. Here's the rest of my interview with Roger Kerry from the University of Nottingham in which we discuss a number of things from evidence-based practice, the philosophy and where physiotherapy might be heading in the 21st century. If you've had a chance to listen to our feature-length episode on YouTube with Roger Kerry, then you might might as well skip five minutes into this clip to get the extended part of the interview. Hi Roger, welcome to one of our special soundbite editions of the Physio Matters podcast, in association this time with the conference at which you're a keynote speaker, which is iFOMT 2016. Best question to start with is probably, what's your name and where have you come from? Good morning Jack, my name is Roger Kerry. I'm from the University of Nottingham in the UK and I'm a chartered physiotherapist in the UK. So it's very pleasing to be involved in IFOMP 2016. It's a great honor to be a keynote speaker. So my life as a physiotherapist started uh, quite a few years ago in the mid 1990s. I qualified in a physiotherapy school that no longer exists uh, near Leeds, which is in Yorkshire. I worked as a clinician for a while in York and around Yorkshire. Uh, before drifting towards education. So what's interesting, I was thinking back uh, towards that early clinical career. I worked as an extended scope practitioner in the UK, and at that time, I think it was one of the first roles. So that was quite interesting. We was doing a lot of um, uh, specialist stuff at that time, which which um, I'm really pleased about looking time. I was one of the first people to do injection therapy. We wrote up some case studies in injection therapy. Then I ended up working in teaching at the University of York part-time and then quite enjoyed that and ended up teaching and doing research and clinical work in the University of Nottingham, where I am now. And I'm a member, uh, I'm an honorary fellow actually of the MACP, which is the UK IFOMT member organisation. So it's very homely and very meaningful to be involved in IFOMT. Lovely, and I know you've been involved in, in IFOMP conferences in the past, so the MACP is hosting IFOMP 2016 in Glasgow, so we're expecting thousands to descend on the conference from all over the world, and they'll be listening to the likes of you. So what makes this a big deal for the UK and for the profession as a whole internationally? Well, for the UK, I, th- I think it is a big deal. I mean, the MACP tried to host IFOMP in 2012, and was pipped at the post by the great Canadians, and, the, and that was a fantastic conference. Um, so it's really exciting to eventually get, get it in the UK. And I, I think one of the things, I mean, the way I, the way I see this is the UK uh, historically is, is attached to iPhone. We had, uh, you know, some English founders for, for iPhone. Greg Greaves was involved in the original foundations, and Jeff Maitland came over to England around the time to work with Greg Greaves, just as iPhone was being formed. So we've got this very historical foundation period of, of iPhone that, that is that is very uh, UK based. So to to have the conference again, I know iPhone has been in the UK. At, in the past, but to have it here again at this time is is a great feeling um, for the MACP and the UK. And I think internationally, um, 
it's nice to have us on the landscape and showcase the the great clinical research that that's coming out of the UK at the moment from all parts of, of the UK and all universities and all clinicians and it's just um, that's built up nicely over the last 10-15 years and it, it's coming to a nice place and by 2016 there's going to be some great UK-based researchers and clinicians presenting uh, their work to to the world um, so I think there's a, there's a good international context for, for the UK so I'm really pleased to be involved with this. Fantastic and how about the timing then because in, in recent years and up to the present day looking forward we're seeing paradigm shifts in practice in education a social media revolution that affecting how people access research and opinions so is the would we say that the conference is a well-timed opportunity to gather the troops so to speak? Great timing, as you say. That there's there's two or three dimensions uh, going on there. There's the research, the clinical work, and there's social media, which over the last few years, as you know, has, has started to bring things together. And the profiling of physiotherapy on social media is is um, is, is very visible and, and offers offers an opportunity for people to get involved with with high-level researchers, high-level clinicians, people who've got strong opinions and there's, there's debating going on, which is fantastic on social media. But then the chance to, to for those people to meet in real life um, is, is a real welcoming time. And I, and I think that's going to be a great opportunity for lots of people to eventually put faces to names and faces to avatars and see people talk about their research and work in real time and socialize with them as well in Glasgow in in real life mm-hmm. and th- this really does have add an old new dimension to conferences and, and meetings within the profession and I've noticed that that's been palpable excuse the pun over the last couple <laughs> Um, and it just adds a colour and another dimension and gives people the confidence to to contribute to conversations and discussions about clinical practice and education and research. So as far as the timing is concerned, I think there's no better time to have an an international conference, bringing all these people together, these very vocal, active people. It's going to be a great time. Fantastic. And the, the, uh, there's something to be said about hearing about research as well. I mean, reading, reading only takes you so far. Attending lectures and courses may be another thing, but, but conferences and the ability to b- debate and answer the, the questions, there's something special about bigger conferences such as this, isn't there? There is. I've, I've always felt that. I've always tried to go to as many conferences from, from the very first from, from the very beginning of, of, of my career, I've tried to engage in conferences. And it, there is, you can read stuff, you can think about stuff yourself, but you get to conference and you, you interact and it is different. But I think it is the interaction that makes the difference. And as long as there's opportunity for debate and discussion and conversation, that's what makes a great conference. You can have big conferences where where uh, the expert researcher stands there and delivers their data, 
and and that's it and then the next one comes on and, and that's okay but what we need is to engage people in in debate and discussion and push the field further and push the ideas further and push the data further and see how the data relates to clinical practice and and that's what you that's what you get out of a good conference and that's what i found 2016 is is going to be all about fantastic and that's and that's far from just for the high echelons of of academia that's something that you want frontline clinicians from all levels from from newly qualified throughout experience is that fair to say as being a perfect audience for you it's all about the shop floor it's all it's all about clinical practice it's all about the way as clinicians we interact with our patients at an individual level at population level, that that's what all of this is all about. That's that's what all the higher echelons of research and education are, are all about. But there is a perception that, that those echelons exist in, in some sort of different world to clinical practice. And it's conferences like this, it's clinical conferences like this that, that bring the, the two together. And it shouldn't be about expert researchers talking down to clinicians. It should be about contextualizing that research in the shop floor level and seeing how clinical practice can 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 be influenced and changed for the better by by attending to the research, but also the other way around as well, of course, how, how research can be better influenced by what's happening at the shop floor and the clinical level. And those two things are, are equal partners. It, in the same quest and that quest is to improve the health of the nation and, and the world and that and that's what again an international organization like iPhone is all about absolutely and uh, we, we look forward to it plenty of uh, plenty of time for us to get get more uh, from all of you and, and looking forward to that as a conference but if we talk a little bit more about your work I mean you're possibly best known for your research on CAD the vascular system you also helped to compile the IFOMP guidance on manual therapy the neck um, this, I know that was presented last time around but your PhD studies as an associate professor at the University of Nottingham is taking into a rather different area i understand that's true well yeah it, it's it's different in in some ways it's a different discipline it's a different type of research I've, phd studies are uh, uh, philosophical studies on the on the nature of science uh, which sounds a bit left field but it's not at all it's what what I'm interested in is the way our research methods ad- address our clinical questions. But in order to do that, you've got to move away from the research methods themselves and look at what un- underpins them, which is, which is the the philosophy of science. So, although on one hand it it does look different and extreme, on the other hand it it's it's not. I'm 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 very concerned. In, you know, if you, again, you can take this back to the shop floor. I'm interested in what helps people improve their health, and in order to do that, we need we need to address some really fundamental questions. And the question I'm addressing is what is the question of causation? What causes people to improve health? Now, we've, we've got methods that can help with that randomized controlled trials attempt to establish some sort of causal link but we've sort of shot off on the whole evidence-based medicine evidence-based practice movement 
fairly rapidly over the last 20 years or so. And we've, we've made great headway in developing better methods and better trials and bigger trials and better data. But I and lots of others still, still think there's some fundamental issues to, to, be, to be ironed out. And, and, and that's what I'm looking at, a, be, a better foundation for the research methods we do that better reflect shop floor individualistic clinical decisions and, and so that's my area. and I th- and I think the CAD uh, the CAD phenomena is just a good example of, of that where we can try and better understand why some people have adverse events to to manual therapy um, which currently current methods are have been unable to address so part of my work is to try and establish uh, improved research methods to try and address very complex uh, questions like that. So I, I see the two things as similar things. Okay, absolutely. And do you think that do you think that that um, has been born out of maybe the industry wide not obsession but but keenness to extrapolate RCT data as as a main priority? Uh, do you think do you think we we, we swung a bit too far that way? <sighs> So the cynical response is, is yes, but I, I think it's partly necessary that we that we have swung that way in terms of we've started to get to grips with 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 better research methods and the funding generally has been in the right direction. Randomised control trials can answer certain clinical questions that other methods can't can't do, but I suppose suppose in some quarters there has been a swing too far in towards how we interpret the information that a randomized control trial gives us and it's almost taken as some sort of gospel truth that if a systematic review of, of a, a number of high quality randomized control trials says this is the case then we've we've, we've sort of got to the stage where we're happy with that we we stop the story they go all oh, right we've we've found the answer now intervention a is better than intervention b but, he, but even medicine doesn't accept that as as being the end of the story and that still generates lots more questions and lot lot more issues and science for the last two and a half thousand years science has been an evolving process and I think some people see it as we've found the answer now. We've found found the way to address the most complex questions in the world. And it's this thing called the randomized control trial. So we don't need to think anymore about what we do or what things mean. Mm. Uh, but that that's that's simply not the case and it can't it can't be the case. No, I mean that makes it makes a lot of sense, Nick. We can't shy away from thinking no matter what the data says. But if uh, I mean philosophy underpins everything we do, of course. I know the late Max Usman's often quoted saying, if physiotherapy wishes to remain a respected provider in musculoskeletal pain, then it has no choice but to drop the lip service and actually undertake serious philosophical change. Is that in part what your group are trying to push for yeah i buy into that quote quite quite comfortably um probably on different dimensions in different ways but but what he's said there is is quite again i i don't want to get too sort of broad or deep about this but the whole history of science the whole philosophy of science has, has demonstrated this throughout time that science and progress needs this continual level of, of, of thought 
towards it. Now, what Max Zussman was referring to there was the way we should redefine what what we mean by management of, of musculoskeletal health. And um, again, it's another example where the data can give you so much, but the data gives you an opportunity to stop and rethink and reestablish that. How, how you make sense of, of, of the world and having the confidence and being brave enough as individuals and professions to say, hold on a minute, something's not quite right here. This data is indicating that something's not quite right. Let's, let's rethink uh, our, our little world here and, and see if we can make better sense of it and see if we can add more science on that to make more sense of it. And the two things work together. The philosophy underpins the science, the science informs the philosophy, and that, that, that exists in all aspects of, of, of uh, scientific research, in physics, in chemistry, in biology, in maths. Um, the two things go, go together all the time. So I love that quote. It's, it sums up a lot of important um, direction and information of, of, about how we should be as hands-on clinical profession and, and challenge what we believe, challenge, challenge the fundamental things that we, that we, we have believed in. Okay, I know that uh, I know that it oversimplifies to some degree, but it's been said that the minute we think we've made it, then we're not thinking enough, and and so just keeping adding depth and layers to our both research and practice is something important ongoing. Absolutely, absolutely. Again, another quote that hits the nail on, on on the head there. As soon as we sit back, sit up, and think, right, we've we've got there. You know, you know, you haven't. Mm. You know you're on the on the tipping point of making making a big mistake again if it, either as an individual or as a profession and we should be really wary of that fantastic i mean in summary then i know we have touched on it a little but what have the delegates at ifont 2016 got to look forward to both from yourself and just from the event in general well hopefully um i'm going to present um our work and my thoughts and um, engage people in discussions about some some complex matters relating to musculoskeletal health and the other keynotes and all the other lecturers and, and presenters there will be doing the same thing. I think delegates are going to get massive value for time and money they're investing in coming to, to Glasgow. On the other side of it, they're coming to Glasgow, which is great. Glasgow is a great city. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, on the social side, it, it's going to be such fun. We're going to have a great time. People from outside the UK haven't been to Glasgow before. will experience Scotland in its finest glory. And the uh, MACP will put on a conference. They'll put on a show. They'll put on a party. And we're all going to have a great time. Fantastic. And a personal question then, Roger. Are you going to be bringing your guitar? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll see if we can get it on the bus. Nice one. I look forward to that. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your time. Uh, I think that that gives people a, a taste of maybe whets an appetite. And uh, I look forward to both the conference and speaking to you again soon. Great stuff. Yeah, look forward to it. Many thanks to Mr. Roger Kerry for his time and also to IFOMP 2016, the organising committee, for doing the work behind the scenes to make these things possible. 
we hope to see you there at the conference. I know it's a way ahead of time, but as you can see, the cogs are turning and we have a number of free thinkers, much like Roger, that are also on extended podcasts that you can find in the back of this website, as well as exclusive literature from the keynote speakers. But before I go, a little reminder. You've been listening to the Physio Matters podcast, this time in association with iFompt 2016. Today we've been discussing Physio Matters because Physio matters. Bye for now. Oh.